This episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by WCScreens.com, the absolute gold standard in the screen printing and embroidery industry. If you have needs in this area, please support our friends and fellow Irish fans at WCScreens.com. And on with the show. The Fighting Irish recently lost a program titan in linebacker Jim Lynch. A captain on the famed 1966 National Championship team, it was legendary Notre Dame coach Ara Parsegian who once said that Jim was All-American in every sense, talented, hard-nosed, and honest. Today we're going to celebrate his life, his background, his family, and of course his football career as we pay tribute to perhaps the best linebacker to ever don the blue and gold, number 61, Jim Lynch. Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello, Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter, and thank you for joining me today. I have what I believe to be a really nice offering to mark this 66th episode in show history. Not to mention 66th is appropriate, as we will be paying tribute to the captain of the 1966 Notre Dame football team. Oh, captain, my captain, the recently departed Jim Lynch. Before we jump in, a super quick plug. If you want a couple episodes with a few shorter but wildly interesting stories surrounding the university and the Notre Dame football team, go back and listen to the last two offerings, episodes 64 and 65. I called them Alex's Irish Anecdotes, and I blitzed through a series of short, intriguing tales I'd like to think you'd enjoy. But if you haven't already, go back and give them a listen. I think, again, they are very interesting, and I go as far as to say even intriguing. A special thank you to the Consensus All-Americans, those awesome folks who donate to the show and keep the Subway alumni train on the tracks. These kind folks include Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, and also Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. If you'd like to get your name called as a Consensus All-American, Feel free to visit the virtual tip jars at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation or even better, patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast for ongoing monthly support. Just know that every red cent is so greatly appreciated, folks. And if you're not in a position where you can donate, please just keep listening, keep sharing, tell all your friends about the show, keep that needle moving forward. And I greatly, greatly appreciate it. I'm cutting out all the extra theatrics here for today because we have some really important ground to cover. So, Jim Lynch. Well, this is a name that many, many folks know, especially if you are a Notre Dame fan of a certain age, a Notre Dame football history buff, or if you have strong ties to a small northwestern Ohio city called 
Lima. Though I personally was born over two decades after Jim guided the 1966 Irish team to a national championship, I think I certainly do qualify as a Notre Dame history buff. But much, much more indelibly, I have very strong ties to the small northwestern Ohio city of Lima. As I know I've mentioned several times over the last few years of doing the show here, I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So whereas Lima is northwest Ohio, Fort Wayne is, of course, northeast Indiana. I went to high school in Fort Wayne. I played football at Snyder High School in the city before heading down to play college football at Earlham, Earlham College, which is, of course, in Richmond, Indiana, where even 12 years after graduating, my wife and I are currently raising our family. But before all of that, both of my parents were born and raised in Lima, even living there until the mid-1980s. I mean, really, just before I was born. So they both spent the first you know, three decades or so, well, I guess for my mom, not quite three decades, in Lima before moving to Fort Wayne. My mom attended Lima Central Catholic. My dad attended Elida High School, which is just outside Lima in the rural part of the county. And you know what else? My bonus dad, who married my mom in 2016, he also attended Lima Central Catholic, which will come up here later in our story. And my older brother, Ben, was born in Lima as well. But the point is, I grew up hearing Jim Lynch's name. And not just because he ultimately landed in the College Football Hall of Fame or because of a prolifically productive professional career. How's that for alliteration? Not just because of the sheer civic pride the Lynch family brought to this proud, blue-collared city of Lima, Ohio, but because Jim Lynch was my cousin. My first cousin, actually, once removed. So it's true, my grandma was named Geneva Hahn. Hahn, of course, being her maiden name. Jim's mom was Geneva's sister, Marie Hahn. So Jim's actually my mom's first cousin, ergo, again, my first cousin once removed. And, you know, despite hearing his name many, many times growing up as a boy in Fort Wayne, I never had a chance to meet him. And as an adult, even as I would finally get to the point where I probably had the means to pull off such a meeting, I never did. And it's funny because just last month, I was talking to my mom about this. She works at one of the Catholic churches in Lima and had mentioned she saw Jim's contact information come through the parish office in some way, shape, or form, and that she'd pass along his information to me so I could maybe ask him about being a guest on the show. She actually later told me she wrote him. Though Jim lived in Kansas City where he spent his entire professional career, I was pretty convinced that if I could just merely make contact with him, even using my mom as a conduit, I was pretty sure I could have him on the show. <laughs> but really, what superseded even this feeling that I could have this incredible guest for this show was that I'd finally get a chance to meet and speak to this member of the family, someone whom I share blood with and that I'd only heard about in my three and a half decades on Earth here. And then, like most of you, I heard on July 21st, 2022, that Jim had passed away at age 76. So, unfortunately, that episode and meeting won't come to fruition. But I do offer you this as something of an alternative. I give you, I carried my weight 
The Life and Legacy of Jim Lynch, right after this. Allow me to start with a quote from the 1966 Notre Dame Football Review that I think may set the stage a bit for our subject. This is after Notre Dame were named the best team in the nation, and Jim Lynch was asked his thoughts on the season. Quote, There was a lot of personal satisfaction in being number one this year, and anybody would be lying to say he doesn't like all the honors that came with being national champions. But when I look back on it all, my biggest feeling of accomplishment is to be able to say I was a part of it all and that I carried my weight, end quote. Eric Parsegian once said that I am often asked who was the best player to coach, and Jim Lynch always comes to mind. And to repeat what was shared in the show's introduction, the second half of that Parsegian quote was that Lynch was an All-American in every sense, talented, hard-nosed, and honest. End quote. Jim Lynch was born in Lima, Ohio on August 28, 1945, to parents Rodney Jr. and the aforementioned Marie Lynch. He had older brothers, Rodney III and Tom. Even before the Lynches would establish their legacies as athletes, they were well known around the city of Lima as a West Ohio gas company family. Jim's grandfather, Rodney, worked over four decades with the company. Jim's father, Rodney Jr., whom the family called Uncle Chubby, my mom informed me, joined the company immediately after graduating from high school in 1929. Jim's oldest brother, who was Rodney III, also worked for the gas company and, not for nothing, he was my mom's godfather. In addition to his older siblings, Jim also had younger siblings, in a brother, Ray, who, after speaking with my mom about this very episode, I learned was named for my grandfather, as I am since Raymond is actually my middle name, and a younger sister, Cheryl Ann. The family were ardent Catholics, and all of Rodney and Marie's kids attended the Catholic high school. So for Jim and Tom in particular, this was Lima Central Catholic, home of the Thunderbirds. Tom was a standout lineman for the newly formed Thunderbird football team. I say newly formed because Lima Central Catholic was the result of a couple smaller Catholic high schools in the city that consolidated. In fact, one might even say that Tom Lynch was the first star football player of LCC. In the spring of 1960, the Lima News wrote, quote, It's official now. The 210-pound football lineman object of the attentions of more than one college grid scout, was named Thunderbird Athlete of the Year at the annual LCC Spring Awards Banquet held in St. John's Auditorium, end quote. That is, of course, about Tom. But what is humorous is near the bottom of that very same story, the reporter also noted that, quote, Jim Lynch, Tom's younger brother, won the Freshman Award. He is also a football player, end quote. Which is, to say the least, a... Very succinct note about a guy who would go on to be one of the best football players in the country. But that does tell you just how daggone good of a football player Tom Lynch was. And Tom ended up choosing to play football at the Naval Academy over offers to go play at Purdue, Tennessee, Toledo, and according to the paper, even Ohio State. 
and learning more about this family, you can kind of see where the service academy was a strong fit. But so Tom goes off to play for the academy, and he plays both center and linebacker, and he quickly becomes a standout player over in Annapolis. But back in Lima, his younger brother Jim Lynch ultimately takes the mantle as the best football player the city had ever seen. Not to mention, he was a pretty good basketball player as well, but what's really impressive about Jim is just how well-rounded he was. In fact, a 2015 article from the Lima News, written by Greg Horston, notes that, quote, Jim Lynch was busy his senior year at Lima Central Catholic. Among other things, he led the Catholic Students' Mission Crusade, performed in the senior class play The Music Man, and dabbled in poetry, end quote. I was able to dig into that a little bit, and he actually sent his poems, and many of them were published by major national newspapers, including the Chicago Tribune. But on the gridiron, Jim spent his sophomore and junior years becoming one of the most feared and hard-hitting linebackers across the state of Ohio, and probably the country, honestly. As a result, the strong, sinewy Jim Lynch would not be denied a shot to play big-time college football, just like his older brother Tom. But picking through a long list of suitors, Jim narrowed his search down to three schools. Northwestern, the Naval Academy, and Notre Dame. Obviously, with these three schools comes a certain level of, let's call it, academic rigor, and of course a little bit of discipline that comes with it. And for the Naval Academy, uh, a lot of discipline. They eat it for breakfast, I think. But... (laughs) Be mindful with me here for a second. I think a lot of people have some misconceptions about the University of Notre Dame and her football team in, say, uh, 1962, which happens to be the exact time that Jim was in the throes of his college search. I think if you were to ask a lot of people, it's the 1960s, so they must assume that Era Parsegian was not only the coach of Notre Dame, but he surely would have recruited Jim, right? Well, that would be incorrect. Era didn't get to Notre Dame until 1964. And of course, the other is that uh, Notre Dame, as they are historically considered, uh, must have been a good football team around this time, right? That was also not true. Uh, they went 5-5 five and five in 1962, 5-5 five and five in 1961, and they would actually go 2-7 in 1963. So when Jim foregoes his offer from the Naval Academy opting to not follow in his brother Tom's footsteps, and he chooses the University of Notre Dame, well, this really did represent something of a leap of faith. According to Jim, years later, it even seemed like his parents thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was heading to the academy to be with Tom, who, by the way, heading into the 1963 season, his senior year, Tom, he was named team captain on a team that, theoretically, Jim would have been a freshman on. But according to John Heisler's book, Then Era Said to Joe, quote, The way Jim Lynch sees it, he had probably the only Irish Catholic parents in the state of Ohio who might have had the slightest twinge of regret at his decision to accept a football scholarship from the University of Notre Dame, end quote. So, Jim opts for the fighting Irish. Now, we know that Notre Dame would have possessed that Catholic spirit and that Catholic ethos and grounding that 
Jim would have found appealing. But also, of course, South Bend, Indiana is just a heck of a lot closer to Lima, Ohio than Annapolis, Maryland is. So South Bend rests about 150 miles northwest of Lima. So in the modern day, it's about, well, maybe about three hours or so by car, but Fort Wayne represents about your one-third mark with your trip. So you will go from Lima, you'll go through South, uh, excuse me, you'll go through Fort Wayne before you hit Lima. And Jim actually sticks with the Fighting Irish, even after that disastrous, aforementioned 2-7 and seven, 1963 season, which cost head coach and longtime Notre Dame man Hugh DeVore his job. So Jim was on the freshman team during that 1963 campaign because, of course, this was during the time that freshmen couldn't compete at the varsity level. That wouldn't change ooh, for about another decade or so. I think it was 72-73 when freshmen at basketball and football were able to compete at the varsity level. But anywho, of the 49 members of the freshman team, Jim was named one of the top four prospects in the 1963 issue of the football Review. So during his freshman year, Jim is obviously making good on the freshman team, which is the best, absolutely best he can do. But just as a quick aside, Notre Dame and Navy squared off in 1963. Again, Tom was a senior on that team and he was a captain, and they absolutely shellacked the hapless Irish 35 to 14. Tom had some help though. Navy had a certain Heisman Trophy winner under center at quarterback by the name of Roger Staubach. But as I mentioned, uh, Jim didn't dress since he was a freshman, but there was quite a bit of press dedicated to that particular game, and really to plenty thereafter. For a while, it was actually hard to talk about the Notre Dame-Navy rivalry without bringing up the Lynch brothers. As a quick testament to this, I did an episode a couple years ago about the Navy-Notre Dame rivalry, and yes, I brought up the Lynch brothers. But to use Jim's words that he once said to John Heisler, quote, both Notre Dame and Navy stand for a whole lot more than just a place to go to school, end quote. And of course, here's one for your back pocket, just in case it should come up at trivia night at your favorite Irish watering hole. That 1963 Navy victory marked the last one for the Academy until 2007. Who could forget that wild three-overtime win for Navy? But that broke a string of 43 straight victories for Notre Dame over Navy, dating again back to 1963. That 1963 team, of course, was the one Tom was the center, snapping directly to Roger Staubach. So Jim's class, though, back to Notre Dame, is the stuff of legends in Irish football lore. So you have Jim, who was obviously fantastic, and we're going to get into that here in just a second. But you also have running backs Nick Eddy and Larry Conjar, impact players right there. Offensive lineman Tom Regner, defensive tackles in Kevin Hardy, and who could forget his honor, Alan Page. I mean, I know I'm missing others. I'm kind of spitballing here, but this class was absolutely loaded, and it helped turn the tide on Notre Dame football which really had been mired in mediocrity for quite some time, really since Frank Leahy left. So with the help of Jim and the sophomores, the Irish go 9-1 during ERA's first year in 1964. That season is capped off with starting quarterback John Hewitt 
winning the Heisman Trophy in 1964. And Hewitt, aside from being a teammate of Jim Lynch's here for the Irish, they also become teammates in the NFL as well. But I got to tell you this one as well. Era Parsegian, though he didn't recruit Jim Lynch to the Irish program, and he couldn't have because he wasn't the head coach yet, he absolutely loved, and I mean loved, Jim Lynch. So I had that quote from earlier, but there's a guy you might be familiar with too. His name's Frank Pomerico. If that name rings a bell, it's because he was actually the captain of the 1973 national championship team, which was also coached by Era. So by the time Frank Pomerico would have stepped foot in Era's office or gotten into the Fighting Irish football program, Jim was long gone to the NFL. But when Frank went into Era's office for a meeting, he noticed that Era didn't have much on his desk by way of pictures or really anything. Era was very tidy. But he did notice something on his desk that kind of stood out a little bit and seemed strange. And when he took a closer look... Yep, it was actually a picture of Jim Lynch. Anyway, Jim suffered a knee injury partway through that sophomore season, but he still managed to log 41 tackles, and the Notre Dame Football Review raved about him and how much of an impact player he was going to be for the next two years. So in 1965, which was Jim's junior year, the team did backslide just a little bit. They managed a 7-2-1 record, but they did register a revenge win over USC, who had dealt them their only loss the season before 1964, ostensibly keeping them from winning a national championship. But this is the season that Jim all of a sudden is everywhere. He led the team with 108 tackles. Now, if you stop and think about that again, 108 tackles, that's a lot for any length of season, but they only played 10 games, which means on defense, Jim was averaging 11 tackles, nearly 11 tackles per game. But he also broke up three passes and intercepted another from his linebacker position. I mentioned Nick Eddy a moment ago, so it's probably worth noting that he led the team in both rushing and receiving. But despite the pair of losses, the Irish did finish number nine in the polls in 1965 which was the second season of Era's era, so to speak. So after finishing number three in the polls in 1964 and number nine in the polls in 1965, well, for all intents and purposes, the Irish were back, baby. This, of course, leads us to 1966. Interestingly, in 66 episodes of the show, well, 65 previous to today, we have danced around 1966. Despite its huge historical significance, we have talked about many of the seasons either just before or just after. This will be about as substantive as I've gotten. Anyway, Jim was named team captain for the Irish, for that legendary team. And I, again, won't make any bones about it. Many folks consider the 1966 team particularly that defense, one of the finest in program history. And speaking about the defense, it was Pomerico again with the golden quote about Jim Lynch when he said, quote, At Notre Dame, he, being Lynch, was on the inside at middle linebacker. He was defensive coordinator Johnny Ray's guy. He was smart. He studied the game. He was a guy you built a defense around. He was a coach on the field. 
He was a kingpin of that defense. End quote. And that was by way of our friends at Irish Illustrated. So the Irish started the season at number eight, but quickly moved up four spots number four after beating the number seven ranked Purdue in South Bend by a couple scores, 26 to 14. Now get a load of this. Pomerico mentioned Lynch was the kingpin of the defense, which I love, by the way, but led by their captain and kingpin over the next seven games after that Purdue game. So 28 quarters, however you want to look at it. Take a deep breath. The Notre Dame defense yielded two touchdowns. Two touchdowns in seven games. Five shutouts in a seven-game stretch. Two touchdowns in 28 quarters. I'd be remiss not to mention, in the middle of that streak was a trip down to Norman, Oklahoma, to take on the number 10 Oklahoma Sooners. And they absolutely whacked them. 38-0. You know, every college football season, there's that team that runs on a real nice string of early season wins. Then they have that real big test on the road. And then everyone's talking like, oh, this is where we find out if so-and-so or insert team here is legit. I have no doubt that was probably the storyline surrounding the 1966 Notre Dame team. They had lost some big games, some high-profile games in the seasons before. So this probably would have represented that moment where people are like, okay, this Notre Dame team is legit. (laughs) So the Irish have rattled off eight victories to start the season. They are eight wins, zero losses, and on November 19th, the game of the century looms. It is against number two Michigan State in East Lansing at Spartan Stadium. The Irish hold the number one rank. Michigan State holds the number two rank. November 19th, 1966. We're going to talk about the Michigan State game right after this. This November 19, 1966 matchup is still widely regarded as one of the biggest Notre Dame games in history. So let's lean into Jim a little bit and let him share some of uh, what he thought made this game special. He shared it with UND.com back in 2016 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of both the team and the game. Quote, I was glad that we finally got to the Michigan State week. We kept on winning and Michigan State kept on winning. And people kept on talking about the showdown that was going to be happening in November. We would wind up having 40 or 50 reporters at our practices that week. We weren't used to having 40 or 50 people at practice ever. They're not only watching practice, but they all had a paper and pencil in their hand as well. And after practice, you would have to do a press conference without much to say. Most everything had already been said. We hold up our end and Michigan State sure as heck held up their end and we knew they would. We knew it was going to be a very, very tough football game, and we were going to have to play, end quote. And it was tough sledding for the Irish before the game even started. Running back Nick Eddy slipped on ice, getting off the train at East Lansing, and missed the game entirely. And just in case this one comes up at Trivia Night at your local Irish watering hole, this was actually the last time the team traveled by train to an away game, so how about that? But to make matters much worse, quarterback Terry Hanratty was injured during the first quarter of the game after a vicious sack from Spartan defensive tackle Bubba Smith. 
who was not only a wonderful football player, but you also may remember him as cadet, then later Sergeant Moses Hightower from the Police Academy movies. The game is an absolute slobber knocker. The Notre Dame defense yielded their first touchdown in a blue moon during the second quarter, which allowed the Spartans to jump out to a 7-0 lead. They added a field goal then, which was kicked by the barefooted Dick Kenny, which ran the Spartan lead up to 10-0. Jim later said, it was a physical game. Maybe the hardest hitting game I've ever had was the game against Michigan State the year before in 1965. We were held to negative yardage rushing. That was a behind the schoolhouse fist fight. And I don't care who you are, nobody looks forward to a fist fight. But the 66 game absolutely lived up to that same billing. That Michigan State game in 1966 was a lot bigger than when I played in the Super Bowl in January of 1970, end quote. So the Irish clawed back into the game thanks to a 34-yard touchdown reception from backup running back Bob Gladio on a pass thrown by backup quarterback Coley O'Brien in the second quarter. God love O'Brien, by the way. He's diabetic, so between offensive series, he was seen on the sidelines drinking orange juice and eating candy just to keep his blood sugar and insulin at a reasonable level. Even though their team captain and soul of the defense, Jim Lynch, was battling what was later called a monstrous Charlie Horse, Notre Dame's defense put the clamps down on the Spartans' offense in the second half and held them scoreless. A 28-yard fourth-quarter field goal by the Irish tied the game 10-10. Who would have thunk it? After Irish All-American defensive back Tom Schoen intercepted his second pass of the game in the fourth quarter, Coach Parsegian went very very conservative on the play calling, opting to keep the ball on the ground and not risk turning it over and giving Michigan State more time to score or better field position. And this was actually a very controversial move, both in the Michigan State camp and a lot of national writers as well were very critical of Coach Parsegian for almost going for the tie instead of going for the win. But when the game clock read all zeros, that's exactly what it was. It was a tie, 10-10. to 10. So the Irish, with their number one ranking intact, ran to the locker room. According to backup running back and punter Rocky Blyer, who most definitely is a story for another day, he said the following, quote, Almost everyone was crying. The emotion of the game, the hitting, and the violent contact was converted into the emotion of the locker room, the tears, the hugging. Then Eris spoke to us. Men, I'm proud of you. God knows I've never been more proud of any group of young men in my life. Get one thing straight, though. We didn't lose. We were number one when we came. We fell behind. Had some tough things happen. But you overcame them. No one could have wanted to win this more than I. We didn't win by God, but we didn't lose. There's crying about a tie, trying to detract from your efforts. They, being Michigan State, are trying to make it come out as a win. Well, don't you believe it. Their season is over. They can't go anywhere. It's all over and we're still number one. Time will prove everything that has happened here today. And you'll see that after the rabble-rousers have had their say, cooler minds who understand the true odds will know that Notre Dame is a team of champions. End quote. So the Irish not falling victim to a big game hangover waxed USC the following week. 51 to 0. 
Jim Lynch and the undefeated Irish, after a 17-year drought, were called national champions once again. When Jim was reflecting on the season after it was over, he shared the following in the Notre Dame Football Review. Quote, this team had a lot of pride. Not the Green Beret whistle-blowing type, but the kind that never let the thought enter our minds that we would ever let down the coaches and the school's reputation. Playing for Notre Dame and all that the name represents transcends the ball on the field. With our environment here, every guy on campus takes a defeat as something personal. In the past, when we lost, it was really difficult to come back and face the student body, and we worked hard to prevent that from happening this year, end quote. Jim was named a consensus, unanimous, first-team All-American for his efforts. He was named the recipient of the Maxwell Award. He led the hands-down best defense in the country in tackles with 106, which paired nicely with his three interceptions. He was truly the kingpin of that defense, perhaps the best Irish defense ever assembled. He was the soft-spoken, humble, and hardworking Jim Lynch. He was selected in the second round in the 1967 AFL draft by the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know, he was a fantastic linebacker on some great Chiefs teams. And really, he was kind of more quietly productive while sharing the position group with two future Hall of Famers in Bobby Bell and Willie Langer. He retired at the end of the 1977 season after 11 seasons, and he made a clean break from football and entered the food brokerage business in Kansas City. Oh, and he also did serve at one time as president of Notre Dame's National Monogram Club. Not too much surprise, Jim was inducted as an inaugural member into the Lima Central Catholic Hall of Fame for Athletic Achievement in 1988. In 1990, he was inducted into the Chiefs Hall of Fame. And then he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1992. His brother Tom later became an admiral in the United States Navy and is still living today. Their younger brother Ray played a season of football at Xavier University in Cincinnati. In 1962, their mother, again my grandmother's sister, Marie Hahn, told the local Lima paper that, quote, We have no set pattern in raising our children. We have been blessed with very obedient children who are willing to work, end quote. In Jim's recent obituary, it was written that he was an amazing man, who will be greatly missed by those with whom he came into contact. His life was dedicated to his faith, his family, his friends, and his community. He was a good man who always tried to do the right thing. In using Jim's words, he carried his weight. Rest in peace, Jim Lynch. And I'll be right back with show wrap. Regardless of your familiarity with Jim Lynch, whether you watched him play back in the 60s or in the 70s with the Chiefs, or if you just learned his name today and learned your first bits of information about him, I really hope you enjoyed this episode, number 66, dedicated to the memory, the life, the legacy, and the fantastic football playing career 
of former All-American Jim Lynch. I don't have much to say, honestly, other than that here in this show wrap, other than we are a mere 32 days from kickoff to the 2022 Notre Dame season, and I promised you a busy August, and this episode today is just the beginning. So next episode, I will be pulling in my compadre, my co-contributor, Matt Gehring, and we will be walking through the annual, the fourth annual at this point, season preview episode. So please be on the lookout for that. Please make sure that you're subscribed to the show, and that way you can be alerted to all of the new and the latest episodes, and that way also you can go back and listen to all the old ones too. As you may be aware, the vast majority of the themes and Subjects of these episodes don't have an expiration date. The stories are going to be good today. They're going to be good tomorrow. They're going to be good years from now. All right, well, no dilly, no dally today. I'm going to get you folks on your way. I hope you enjoyed this latest offering of Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast wrapping up episode number 66 dedicated to the memory of the captain of the 1966 National Championship football team. Jim Lynch. This has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.